I invite you to take your Bibles, brothers and sisters, and we open the Scriptures, and we will read what is our Scripture reading, and at the same time the text is Psalm 130, the book of Psalms 130. Out of the depth I have cried to you, O Lord, Lord, hear my voice, let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Thus far the holy word of God. In in immediate response to the preaching, we'll sing Psalm 98, stanza 4. Psalm 98, stanza 4. We will sing in response to the proclamation of the word. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, after uh, about four months, COVID-19 continues to dominate the news all the time. Isn't that amazing? You get all kinds of other things coming up in the meantime, but every day again, COVID-19 is dominating. Some people keep hoping that one day everything will be as it was before. But other people predict that the world will never be the same. We better get used to what they call the new normal. Whatever that means, no one really knows what it might look like. And the whole thing continues to make people feel kind of nervous, kind of insecure. Perhaps there will be a vaccine eventually. But who knows what's up next? No one likes to be confronted with his own vulnerability and own helplessness. Our self-confidence has been shattered. I mean, the message in our culture has been that you can control your own life. You control your own destiny. And together we all can control the destiny of our world. We can take care of ourselves. We have lots of tools to control our happiness. Now and in the future, we are going to make the world a good place to live in. Well, apparently not. What do we do with that as Christians? We pray, we pray for healthcare workers, we pray for people who have loved ones who suffered and maybe died from the virus. We pray that the authorities make responsible decisions, we follow instructions to do our best to help slow down the pandemic. That's all good, but it is good to dig a bit deeper. Natural disasters we hear about, like floods and earthquakes, 
or human disasters like wars and pandemics, what's behind all these things? Why do we always turn out to be so powerless when it comes to controlling those things? The Bible is clear about that. All these things are the results of human sin. Now, don't take that the wrong way. That is not personal. It's not like your personal trouble is the result of your personal sin, a punishment for your personal sin. We don't make those kind of uh, judgments. The only one that can do that is God. But in a sinful world that sees human securities crumble on a global scale, the very first thing we have to do is humble ourselves before the holy God. We have to acknowledge our helplessness. And we have to seek His grace and forgiveness. So that we may find hope and courage and trust in His mercy in Jesus. That is what the Lord is teaching us in Psalm 130. We trust in God's grace. That's the message. We trust in God's grace. And therefore, if we go through the song, we pray, we hope, and we sing. So we trust in God's grace, and therefore we pray, we hope, and we sing. Congregation, if we look at Psalm 130, it is important to know right away that it is not a song of somebody who is doubting God. We don't hear the voice of someone who just cries out in despair because he is stuck. Lots of people do that. You get lots of people that are stuck in their misery and they cry out to whoever wants to listen. And here is not someone who is so overwhelmed that he does not know where to turn. Now he is the man who cries out to the depth of his misery. That's true. And that sounds bad enough. But no matter how hopeless, how helpless he might feel, for, for him, this is not a reason to become so desperate that he turns away from God. He is not giving up on the Lord. He's not saying things like, Lord, if you're in control, you're going to have prevented this misery from happening. No, no. He is crying out in what appears to be terrible suffering. But it's not a general cry of despair. He knows where to go. He knows who to turn to. Out of the depth I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. His urgent appeal he addresses to the Holy God. So somehow he trusts that no one will be able to help him but God alone. And, and that gives him the courage to turn to God and petition God. And even louder and with more zeal as his misery and distress becomes more overwhelming. He cries out of the depth, he says. Now think of that image. That's a striking image. To picture that for yourself. You're fishing in Georgian Bay and the weather gets bad and you fall overboard and you can't swim. 
So you're sinking away in the water. You're feeling totally helpless. The waves are closing above you. You disappear in the depth. You panic. There's nothing you can do. You are already cut off from life. Think of what's happened to Jonah, for instance. Even if you have never experienced anything like that, you can imagine that it's got to be frightening. You're drowning. And you're going to die. Now, this songwriter uses that picture, right? He, he feels himself engulfed by the crashing waves of a sea of misery. He feels himself at the, at the mercy of powers that he cannot control. That's kind of scary. In the face of all the worries and concerns and difficulties and problems that keep turning his life upside down, his self-confidence is gone. There's nothing he can do it's only getting worse, whatever it is that makes his life so miserable. Yes, whatever it is. You know, one of the remarkable things in this song is that we have no idea what is going on in his life. We don't know. We don't know who wrote the song, so that is not going to help us. And the unknown author himself doesn't mention anything what's going on. Not with one word. There's no slight indication what's going on in his life. Perhaps he was ill, or he was depressed, or his business went broke and his creditors are chasing him down. Enemies were oppressing him. He mourned the loss of a loved one. Any of these things could be true, but nothing is mentioned. Now, that makes clear already that, that those circumstances are obviously not the most important thing for us to know. It tells us that in the end, his physical suffering and the unsettling experiences that can make life so hard, those are not the things that really cause this cry of despair. And you know, that is, that's often our horizon, right, when we pray. We, we, we do pray in times of fear and anxiety. We worry about the things that overwhelm us, the things that cause us to suffer. We pray for relief. And we ask God to protect our health, the health of our loved ones. And we pray that things we're struggling with will change for the better. And we do so because we know that God controls things we cannot control. But that's okay, you know. There's nothing wrong with that, of course not. You may ask, we should ask for all these things. At the same time, the author of Psalm 130 recognizes that there's more to it. It goes deeper. He acknowledges that behind all the pain and all the hurt and the trouble and the misery and the insecurities, the disappointment and the frustrations, all these things behind all that is a world that is broken by sin. And evil. The verses 3 and 8 show that ultimately it is this reality of sin that causes this urgent cry for help or mercy. This is first of all about sins. This is first of all about our disobedience. This is first of all about our iniquities. About all the things in our lives that clash with the holy will of God. The perfect law of God. 
And life is full of it. Life is full of it. And the world, shocked and frightened by the coronavirus and its life-altering consequences, it is full of it. Now, be careful. That is not a matter of downplaying or ignoring the worries in your life or the worries of people around you, people who are fearful and anxious. No, no. They need to be encouraged by the gospel of Jesus Christ. But as we do so, always remember the connection between the damage, the insecurity, the brokenness, and the suffering we experience, the connection with the reality of sin, to find real hope in a suffering world, in a frightening world. We need to see the real depth of our guilt of sin. Only when I see and experience the immeasurable distance between my life and God's holiness, only then this loud and insistent cry breaks out from the depth of my misery to reach up to the highest heaven. My fervent prayer for mercy, my cry for help, O oh Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Yes, I must cry out, for God is in heaven, and we are here. We are stuck in the depth of our sin. And you and I, you know, we cannot get ourselves out. No one can. On this world, the world in which we live, it can be so dark. And the darkness can be so threatening. Because of all these devastating consequences of sin. Heaven can be darkened by clouds and God seems far away sometimes. Have you experienced that? Oh Lord, where are you? Where are your holiness? Where is your power? Where are you with your love, your grace and compassion, your peace and joy? You know what? It can get lonely when no one is able to understand. When no one can fathom the depth of things that seems to overpower you. That grab it. Hold your life in its grip so you cannot escape. Oh Lord, hear my voice. Hear my cry for mercy. In your personal life, you can feel stuck in distress, nowhere to go with the issues you struggle with. And on a bigger scale, we live in a world that is full of discord and strife, full of confusion and suffering, full of hatred and violence. That's the big picture, and it doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. Sometimes, sometimes mankind seems to make good progress. Don't worry. Everything will be under control. And then an infectious disease shuts the whole world down. It shakes everybody up. But do we recognize behind all this the cause of our never-ending hunger and misery, which is sin? However, my brother, my sister, you're not stuck. It may feel that way, but you're not. You may call, you may cry, you may weep, you may lament, you may pray. Yes, you may, because the Lord your God is here. And the Lord your God hears you. Trust in the God of grace. He will never forsake those who turn to Him. That's His promise. Turn to Him. Seek shelter with Him. You alone, O Lord, can help me. No one else can. And that begins with humbly confessing the depth of my sin. That's the starting point. And you can never skip that. 
You can never forget about that. It begins with my iniquity, my disobedience, my unrighteousness. That is the root of the mess in my life. We don't always like to acknowledge that. Right? We, we prefer to gloss over that or play down our sins. We rather ask God to do something about our miserable circumstances. And that's, that's, that's understandable. But you know, if that's all you want God to deal with, your miserable circumstances, He's not going to solve anything. Because it does not make your sins go away. Oh, I can try to forget my sin. You can try to forget your sin. And if you try hard enough, you might. But if the Lord keeps a record of my sins, if the Lord marks my iniquities, I will be held accountable to all of them, and I will be nowhere. I mean, if God would keep all your sins on the record, mentioned in verse 3, and He would do that with a purpose to charge you and punish you, all of them, that would make it impossible for us to stand for a moment before the Holy God. If God would keep in mind all our sins and all our failures, then His anger must break out, and it will come with a force that will sweep away everything. Nothing and no one can withstand the holy wrath of Him who hates sin. But Psalm 130 teaches us to trust in the grace of God, to turn to the Lord as the God of mercy and compassion, the God we may know in Jesus Christ. Oh, if you, O Lord, verse 3, if you, O Lord, mark our iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Verse 3 is, 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 of course, a rhetorical question with an obvious answer. No one can stand. But it's more than just a rhetorical question. It's also a humble and urgent prayer for God's grace. It's a fervent prayer for forgiveness. This is possible because it is, first of all, a confession of sin and guilt. What does it mean for us today? Well, if you join the author of Psalm 130 today, confess your sins, you pray for forgiveness, we end up at the foot of the cross, the cross of Jesus. We will find ourselves in the presence of the Lamb of God who took him upon himself to carry away the sin of the world. And here, at Golgotha, here the cry out of the depths will come to rest. Here those who cry out in despair will find peace because God responded to that. He responded in the Son of His love, our Savior, Jesus Christ. In Him, He shows Himself the God of grace, the God with whom there is forgiveness. Forgiveness in Jesus at all times. Now, the author of Psalm 130 did not know Jesus, had never heard of Him. But this He knew. With you, there is forgiveness. He doesn't say in verse 4, we hope that with you there is forgiveness. We assume that with you there might be forgiveness. No, no. He says, with you there is forgiveness. It is certain. That makes a, makes a dramatic contrast in this psalm between verse 3 and 4. That little word, but. In other words, I trust in you, grace, Lord. 
And I know that you will not keep a record of my sins. God forgives. And he alone can do so. And he alone will do so. No, he doesn't overlook any of my sins. He sees them all. But Jesus paid for my sins. All of them. And now he throws them away. Far away. Never to be found again. That's what forgiveness is all about. So repent and turn to Jesus Christ. In him you will be able to stand before the holy God without being destroyed. Because he gave himself to be destroyed under the burden of the wrath of God. Here is the message for all of us. And here is the message for the whole world we live in. Filled with frightening people. Repent and turn to the Savior Jesus Christ. Humble yourselves before the God of heaven. Acknowledge him as the one who is in control. And seek his mercy. Let that experience change your life. How? How does it change your life? With you there is forgiveness, O Lord, says the psalmist. That's great. Then what? Is there going to end the pandemic? No. Not necessarily. Is it going to prevent you from getting sick? No. When you have forgiveness of God, can you throw away your mask and ignore physical distancing and those things? No. And the other trouble you're dealing with in your life, is that going to disappear all of a sudden? No. God forgives so that what? So that we may fear Him. Now, not fear in the sense of being scared of Him, but fear as being respectful of Him. When we live by grace, when we live out of God's forgiveness, we come to see His holiness, we come to see His power, we come to see His love in Jesus. When we trust and obey Him, what is He going to do? He will calm our heart, He will calm our fears and anxieties, He will take away our insecurity. Trusting in God's grace congregation will also have consequences for the future. If you depend on other people, right? If you, if, you, if you don't have anyone or anything to rely on, what are your expectations for the future going to be like? Do you have anything to look forward to? Well, maybe for tomorrow, for next week, you have your plans. But... but Anything that will last, I mean? And what is your anticipation based on if you trust only in people? If you rely on people, relying on human plans for the future is not a very smart idea. When you believe and confess that you depend entirely on God and on His free grace, it will be different. When you trust that with him, the Lord, and with no one else that is true forgiveness, then that will determine your expectations for the future. It will look entirely different. For your future will be characterized by the word hope. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. Hoping in the Lord. Think of that expression, hoping in the Lord. It reflects high and strong anticipation for what's coming. Trusting in God makes you look forward to what will come from Him. You know, in, in the verses 5 and 6, you can almost feel the suspense. I know, Lord, that with you there is forgiveness. I have cried out. I have prayed. 
I have pleaded with you, O Lord, and now I wait for you. Show your mercy. I expect you to act. Now, watch out. This is not a matter of, I did this for you, now it's your turn to do something. No, no, no. Such waiting and expecting is similar to trusting in God's promises. Full of deep trust, you hope fervently in the Lord. You're looking forward to His coming. After all, with Him, there is forgiveness. That's real. And so I can be patient as I hope fervently. I can be patient for His forgiveness to be completed. I wait patiently for the perfect liberation from the power of sin and for all the brokenness that results from that in our lives. No, I'm not going to fix things on my own. You will not be able to fix things on your own either. It's not going to work. On my own, I'm powerless. God alone saves me out of the depth. On his own strength, no one can take possession of what God has promised. A matter of waiting for him. And we can be so impatient. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. Here's the child of God. He's a child of God, and he is, he's waiting, he's anticipating and hoping patiently with strong confidence in the grace of God. Now, it's good to qualify it. Waiting patiently and with confidence has nothing to do with superficial and being lazy. Like, oh, well, let's, let's wait and see. We'll find out when it, when it comes eventually. No, no. Waiting for the Lord is filled with hopeful Longing. Waiting for the Lord and not hanging back in your lazy chair to see what's happening. Waiting for the Lord is sitting on the edge of your chair and looking forward. Intense desire. It is straining toward the coming of the Lord to heal what is broken and to make straight what is crooked. But not impatiently. Not distrustfully, because you know He is coming. He comes, He comes to rule the nations, and every wrong He will redress. The mighty God of our salvation will judge the world in righteousness. We sing in Psalm 98. Look forward to it, for His forgiving grace is with Him. Now, many people have criticized this message. Many people have said, when the church is saying, wait for the Lord, he will make things right. The church is just doping people with empty words into some faraway future la-la land. It doesn't do anything to help people in the problems they struggle with in their everyday life. That's a false dilemma. Don't go for that. Yes, help the poor, support the suffering, and wait for the Lord. I mean, if the role of the church is going to be restricted to a social gospel of improving circumstances of people who suffer, the most significant thing is missing. Put your hope in God's Word. Hang on to His promises of grace and renewal. He is the Lord. He keeps His Word. This is how the songwriter knows Him. This is how we know Him. Because the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us in Jesus. We have seen His glory in Jesus, the one and only Son of God. 
In Jesus Christ, your heavenly Father has shown that with him there is forgiveness. He carried our guilt. He cried out of the depth as none of us has ever done. Out of the deepest shame and anguish of hell. And there was no response for him. There was no help for him. He himself went to the deepest darkness. And he himself conquered the powers of sin and Satan. He did all that in our place. And now you can be sure. You can be sure of your forgiveness in Jesus, your Savior. And next week, you may celebrate the Lord's Supper again after a long time. You may see it again. You may see the confirmation of that reality. I wait for the Lord and for His Word to be fulfilled. And it may take longer than you would like to. But don't get discouraged. We can easily lose our patience. There is so much hurt. There's so much pain that lingers on. There's so much brokenness that re repair. It's about time that God is doing something about it. Why so slow? But trust that the promise of God's grace is firm. Let your heart be filled with deep longing as the watchman on the city walls. A beautiful picture in this song. The watchman on the city walls, they've stood on guard all day and all night and it was cold, and it is dark, and they are tired. They are longing for the end of the night. They know for sure the morning is coming, and with intense longing they watch the eastern horizon for the first light of the new day. Are you on the lookout for God's better world with the same strong hope? In the end, brothers and sisters, it is so comforting. It is actually quite relaxing to be entirely dependent on God's free grace. And so when he comes to the end of his song, the poet can sing cheerfully. The beginning of Psalm 130 sounded from the depth. From far away, from deep down, came the urgent plea for mercy. He cries for help to the Lord. But then he also recognized and acknowledged God's forgiveness, God's saving grace. It's a matter of faith, a matter of trust. And this same trust is then also the source of hope and anticipation, longing for the glorious day that will be and that make things, will, will make things well forever. A longing that is stronger than the longing of the watchman waiting for the dawn to break. And now his song rises up to a jubilant height. The glorious height of God's covenant faithfulness. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is steadfast love. With him is plentiful redemption. He will redeem Israel from all their iniquities. He is singing. But do you notice? He's not singing alone. He's not singing solo all by himself. Notice how in his last part he addresses and includes God's people Israel to join him. His God is not the God for him alone. His God is not the God for his lonely soul. He is not focused on his own trouble only. We often do that, right? We look at our horizon is our personal life and our personal circumstances. But he goes beyond that. His God is the God of the covenant relationship with his people. His hope is in the Lord's grace and faithfulness. And it's always the grace and faithfulness that we share as God's children. You're not on your own. 
And so my hope is not just my hope. In the Bible it never is. Oh Israel, put your hope in the Lord. But it's true for him. It's true for God's people. He needs what God's people need. So when a child of God prays and hopes and sings, he does so together with God's church. Even in a time that we are still facing restrictions for corporate worship, we don't pray, hope, and sing in isolation. After all, wherever we find ourselves, we depend together on the grace of God. And so together we sing. We sing the song of God's faithfulness. With the Lord there is steadfast love. And with the Lord there is abundant redemption. God keeps his promises. He remains faithful. And so we expect his steadfast love and plentiful redemption. That's why we can sing. That's why we can sing. Time and again, the Lord has shown his love and faithfulness to those who cry out and trust in him. The climax of that came in the grace of God in Jesus. Your own personal salvation is embedded in God's worldwide program of salvation. You cannot separate the two. Never do. And all this will complete. And all this will be perfect. Also for each one of you personally. When the grace of God reaches the end of the earth. And when it fulfills all his creation. So let this perspective be your perspective. And let it make you sing cheerfully. Join the glorious song of praise of the author of Psalm 130 and praise the God who showed his unfailing love in Jesus Christ the Savior. Oh, how abundant is his goodness, his free grace in the forgiveness of all your sins, day after day. And so together with all God's people, each one of you may look forward to the fullness of redemption. It is coming. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. It's beyond any doubt. He will. He will do so. So sing. For all your disappointments and all your frustrations and all your hurt and pain, your sadness, your distress, your fears and struggle, whatever it is, all that will be swallowed up and it will disappear in the victory of God's free grace. The free grace. You and I, we all depend on from day to day. Amen.